Good morning. It's a nice, beautiful day today. As you can hear, I have a strong Texas accent. So, you know, just forgive me. Good thing is the Cowboys aren't playing today, so the kingdom of God's going to stay alive. Yes. <laughs> I know. I know a couple of years ago I used to start praying about the Cowboys winning, and every time I prayed, they lost. So I said, Lord, what's the deal? He said, stop praying about the Cowboys winning. It's got nothing to do with the kingdom. I was like, oh, you didn't tell me that. I thought it was God's team. <laughs> but where I come from originally, I'm from South Africa. I've been in America now 20 years. And I tell people that I'm a true African-American. <laughs> am. And uh, so the, the thing is, uh, I'm an American citizen, and uh, God's used me in this nation, and I travel around. I don't normally try and promote myself or try and seek an opportunity. Sometimes I even prefer to stay at home. Sometimes my ministry develops more in Starbucks. You know, it's a real, that's a church. Uh, I don't know if you know that. A lot of ministry goes in, in a lot of these coffee shops. find uh, God does the most unique things in coffee shops. I don't know how many people I've seen slain in coffee shops, but I've seen quite a few of them in, in my journeys. <laughs> and when the Holy Spirit gives you something to somebody, you touch them, and they fall over. And they're, oh, what happened? I think you just had too much coffee. <laughs> but anyway, I just wanted to just greet you and just tell you that, um, you know, in 1993, I came to America. Um, my idea of coming to America, <clears throat> that was a twofold idea. It was firstly about legacy for my family, and secondly, it was about the calling of the Lord. And when I came here, Grand Prairie was really one of the first places I came to. Uh, there was a church down the road called Shady Grove, and uh, we, we stayed in a hotel called the Wilson World. I think it's gone, it's got another name now. And the Holy Spirit instructed me to get a car and to drive down a place called Carrier Parkway or something like that, I think it was. And send me to a church in the Ying Yang that uh, uh, he said to me, I need to go and speak to somebody at this specific church. And so I thought, well, I'm driving through this cattle field, thinking to myself, now where's the church in the cattle field? God, there can't be any churches out here. There was a, 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 a road named Rob something, Rob Roy or something like that. And God said, turn down here in the church on the right. And I drove there, and there's this big church. I thought, wow. So most of my leading since I've come to America has not been by information or by social media. It's been by the leading of the Spirit of the Lord. And social media is good and has its place, and all these things have their place. But the most imperative thing and important thing is to make sure that you have a clear word from God and hear from the Lord. Otherwise, if you go just on the basis of going, you're going to be sorely disappointed. So the truth, what happened is, is the Holy Spirit took us to show us some things and then said to me that when I left South Africa to come to America, I was to take no names and no connections and no contacts because God was going to lead me. And that's how it's been ever since there in the 21 years I've been here. Um, I was talking to Pastor early on. I was saying I got involved in the conference circuit because I thought it was a good idea, a way to promote myself. You know, you always try and help God because, you know, God takes longer than we do. <laughs> so I was trying to help him. I got involved in the conference circuit, and I got so disgusted at some of the conduct of some of the people. And I remember at this one conference, a whole bunch of good names, big names in the place. I was telling Pastor early on about this, and they were doing all these funny rituals with the people. And I thought, it was a, these people have come to hear the voice of the Lord. They've come to experience God, and you're doing all these funny little Mickey Mouse rituals. And the people are not here for that, but they're so hungry, they just accept that. And so the Lord says, what are you going to do about it? So I said, well, I'm going to just walk down there. He said, well, walk down there. Don't touch anybody. Just walk down. So as I walked down, there was this whole line of about, I would say about 100, 200 people. 
And as I started walking along, I walked past these people, they all just started to fall over. The people from that side of the line that were having this stuff done to them, this ritual stuff done to them, all broke free and they came around this side because they wanted to experience what it was. So the whole gaggle of these different well-known people came over to me and said, what, what are you doing? I'm walking. <laughs> well, stop, because you're interrupting what we want to do. And that's when I made up my mind. You know what? I'm not going to play people's games. Because truth is, this is eternal. This is not about making a, a, an impression right here. This is about following the voice of the Spirit and doing what the Spirit of God says. And I was saying to Pastor early on, I don't care if a church of 10,000 people or 1,000 or 100 or 10. If God sends me, I go. It's not about what's going to look like, what the finance is going to be. It's about the people. It's about the kingdom. It's about God's message to His people. And that's how I've driven and lived my whole life. And just quickly, I'm sharing with you a little bit so you can get used to my accent, okay, because I know that we speak differently. So I go up to a church. I was invited to a church in, in uh, Virginia. And um, it was a Bible church, and they didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. But they wanted me to share my testimony because my background is I'm ex-military. I'm ex-special uh, forces from South Africa. And I served three years in the Israeli Mossad. And so my, my specialty and my background was counterterrorism. So this church was very much involved with a lot of military guys and all this. So they wanted me to come share my testimony. But the pastor before the meeting said to me, Now, look, we don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit stuff. So just share your testimony and then leave. Okay, so I did. I shared my testimony. And when I finished, the guy at the back said, hey, uh, would you mind praying for me? <laughs> I looked at the guy and said, one. Okay, so the guy walked up. And so I, as he was walking up, I stretched my hand out to pray. And it was like a bolt of lightning shot out of my hand and hit this guy and just drilled him into the ground. I mean, he bounced. <laughs> oh, and I stood there. And I thought, okay, there's a lawsuit. And the pastor got up and grabbed the microphone from me. He said, you're done. Okay. So I didn't even get to say in Jesus' name or anything. I just yeah. dropped him. So I thought, well, hallelujah. <laughs> so I picked up my bag and I walked across the road to the hotel that I was staying in. And I got in my room and I was getting ready to pack to leave the next morning. And first thing, 6 o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call in my hotel room. It's this guy from the night before. And I'm thinking, all right, he's going to probably sue me. And he said, I need to talk to you. Okay. <laughs> it's like, what did I do? And he was quite well-dressed. He was plush. He had a good suit on and a good tie. He looked, you know, plush. And uh, he said, I'm going to send somebody to get you. That's not, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> you know, so I'm standing next to him knocking my door, and he has two secret service agents. And they start talking to me. We're going to take you to the hill. And I thought, oh, God, the only hill I know of is the one Jesus went. It's called Golgotha. <laughs> I'm going to die. <laughs> on the phone to my wife, hey, listen, pray for me. I'm really in trouble. It's like. So I drive in and they take me to the Dirksen buildings in Washington. It's all the senators and congressmen are. I walk into this guy's office and there was the man from the night before. I looked at his head. He looked okay because he bounced. I thought, well, probably got brain damage. <laughs> and he said, you know, when you prayed for me, I, said, I didn't really pray for you. I just put my hand out and I don't know what happened, but you just fell down. And they had this big sort of canned fruit jar thing on the table with water in it. There's this big, like, kind of a pickle, purple-looking pickle thing. And he said, that came out of my body last night. He said, I've been battling prostate cancer for the last 15 years. And he said, that came out of my body. And so he asked me who I am. And so I sat down and told him my story about how God sent me to America. And he took me down the aisle to all the congressmen and senators, introduced me. 
He said, I want you to come back to Washington two weeks of every month. I'll pay for you. I'll take care of you. I'll make sure you're taken care of. And so for going on 10 years, I ministered to Congress, the Senate, the White House, Clinton White House, Bush White House. And it was totally outside the realm of church. It was in the secular realm, in the, in the political realm. Got to minister to foreign dignitaries, prophesied over just a bunch of whole leaders, Benjamin Netanyahu, a whole bunch of different leaders of the nations. And it was just a glimpsing time that God took me into that situation. When you look at the prophetic, you look at a guy like Daniel, right, that affected the culture of, of uh, Babylon. And it was a perfect thing of God because Daniel didn't promote himself. Actually, matter of fact, Daniel withdrew, okay, until the timing was right. And so after 2002, after 9-11 and all that, they wanted to hire me as full-time to be a counter-terrorist and specialist, and the Holy Spirit said to me, no. You've been called to the kingdom, and so you need to do kingdom work. So my whole life has been sort of just navigating the ebbs and flows of what the Holy Spirit is doing. Sometimes it's in a church. Sometimes it's in a coffee bar. Sometimes it's in a business. Sometimes it's with executives. Sometimes it's on an airplane. It just depends on where the Spirit is going. Uh, a couple of months back, the Holy Spirit woke me up, and he said to me, I want you to go to L.A., I want you to fly, and I want you to book into LAX Hotel. And I thought, okay, what do you want me to do there? Just wait there for me. And I got on a plane, flew to LAX, went and booked in a hotel and sat there. Three days. Nothing. <laughs> That's when you start asking yourself a question. Was I on something? Is there something that's just not straight? Because, you know, people tell you you're kind of goofy, you're nuts, you know. You're hearing voices. So... Um, I'd go and sit down in the foyer every day, and the Holy Spirit said, just sit here and wait, and the man's going to come speak to you. And I thought, okay. So I sat down, waited. The fourth day, a man came and sat in the seat across the road from me. He says, what are you waiting for? I said, I'm waiting for you. What do you mean you're waiting for me? I said, well, I've been sitting here three days waiting. And God told me the man who sits in this chair is the man I'm waiting for. So you're the man I'm waiting for. I said, what are you here for? He said, well, I'm here for a meeting. So we sat and waited. He said, but I'm meeting somebody. And his meeting never came. The people never came. So he said, well, what do you do? So I told him. He said, wow, that's kind of unique. Gave him my background. Gave him my story. Spoke. He said, well, are you living in the hotel? I said, well, how long are you going to be here? I said, I don't know. It depends on what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Now, don't forget, this guy wasn't a Christian, okay? <laughs> I know that's kind of challenging, right? When you start speaking about the Holy Spirit, people start going, oh, Jesus. He said, well, why didn't you come stay at my house? And he lived in Laguna Beach. And that night, him and myself and his wife went out for dinner. And in the middle of the dinner, the Holy Spirit gave me a word. And I bent over to him and I spoke to his ear. He burst out crying. He got up and walked out of the restaurant. That's the last I saw of him that night. And um, his wife and myself and the chauffeur went back to his house that night. I got up early in the morning. I went down to the beach and sat on the rocks and just said, God, what are you doing to him? You're killing me. And the guy walked down and he said, man, he said, you just don't understand what you said. I said, I don't even know what I said to you. He said, 20 years ago when my father was in his deathbed, I made a promise to him that I would do something. And I've never done it. And he said, last night you came to me and you spoke those same words that I spoke to my father, the same agreement I made to my father that I would do. And it's time. And so I want to thank you. And so I still don't know the outcome of that whole story. But the truth is I got to lead that guy to the Lord that day and I got to baptize him in the sea. And uh, he was a Jew. <laughs> so 
I have no idea what the outcome is. But, you know, one day when I step across the threshold and go to the other side, I'll probably see. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because it's imperative for us, those who are the sons of God, are led by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay? So all that was just to give you a little bit of history about me. I'm not yet to promote myself. I'm just getting you used to my conversation. I'm not a loud person. I don't rant and rave. I don't speak. I don't froth and foam. I don't shandy. I'm, I'm peaceful. Yeah, because I, I, I read Jesus' life and I didn't see him doing all these crazy things. <laughs> I went to a church once, the lady, the tambourine, and I eventually went up to and took a tambourine away from me. She said, why do you do that? I said, because you're making a noise. <laughs> so if there's any tambourine players there, you better put that thing in your purse. <laughs> you always find tambourine players are always off sync, right? right. They always play off beat or just crazy. I'm telling you, yeah. <laughs> oh, please stop. So no tambourines, right? No tambourine zone. Okay, cool. So, Father, I thank you this morning for these people at Overflow and for the spirit that you brought them here this morning. I thank you, Father, that in the name of Jesus, we can bind their minds to the mind of Christ. And everything that is a contradiction to the will of God in their lives today has to bow its knee. I thank you for peace and joy in the Holy Spirit and your unmerited favor that comes upon us, your saints, who were purchased with a price and were yours. Thank you today. We give ourselves to you, Holy Spirit, to do what it is you will, in Jesus' name. Amen. So in prayer, I asked the Lord what it is I need to speak to you about, and so I wanted to share with you this little concept. Have you heard of a thing called cognitive dissonance? No? Okay. Can I give you a little bit of an explanation what cognitive dissonance is? Cognitive dissonance is the strife that comes between two ideals or images or ideologies or two thoughts. When you look at the political realm and you see what goes on in the election time, that is cognitive dissonance. One group say this and the other group say this. And both of those messages are contradictory, right? So every day you turn on your TV, what is happening to you? The message of Christ inside of you is having cognitive dissonance against what you're hearing from the media. You might not know it, but that's what it is. That's why it's imperative to watch out what comes in here, here, and here. Because whatever comes, we've been created, I don't even know this, we've been created theological. You know what that means? We follow three things. We follow what we see, what we hear, and what we say. And out of the abundance of heart, the mouth speaks. So sometimes if you speak things, you know, it's like, oh, it's going to be a horrible day today. Be it according to thy word. What do you mean? Why? Because you declared it. So there's the cognitive dissonance going on in the world today. When you look at the world environment, you look at the wars and the rumors of wars and the battles and all these things going on right now, and you look at the message of the church, and you look at the message of the kingdom. There's two different messages, by the way. So when you start seeing these things, there's a cognitive dissonance. And what it does, it affects the human mind. You know, because the mind is where the battlefield is. And this is the biggest battle that Christians have today. And most of them have a battle in their identity. Because the TV is communicating that you're just not good enough. You need this medication to make you a better lover. Or you need this doctor to give you this medication to make your heart beat better. And so this is the whole message you're getting continually all the time from the media. You're getting the cognitive dissonance. 
well, you're just overweight, and so you need to take these pills and they'll help you feel better about yourself. Or you just need to do this, or you need to do that. And this is the whole media communication all the time. You know? If you want to be a man, you need to smoke this kind of cigarette. And this is what these guys do. And so the thing is, there's the whole conflicting message, the message of the world versus the message of the kingdom. And we're under an onslaught. And it's amazing. You don't think that stuff affects you, but it does. And how are we raising our children today, SpongeBob? Have you heard how that guy speaks? Have you sat down and watched him? No, I'm serious. Have you sat down and listened to SpongeBob speak? Wow. I wouldn't put my children in front of that. Some of these programs they have out there, Disney and all that stuff, have you heard the message? Have you heard the cognitive dissonance? How it speaks against what people should be rather than what they are? So my message today is going to be, and let me give you a concept of what cognitive dissonance really means, okay? The world image is fear. Kingdom image is faith. World image is works. Kingdom image is rest. That goes well with Christians. You need to rest in the Lord. Oh, how do I do that? (laughs) Well, Jesus said, you know, that he will make you lay down in green pastures. So if you don't want to rest, there's a ways and means committee that helps you rest. Okay. Failure versus more than a conqueror. Death versus abundant life. Guilt and shame versus grace and unmerited favor. So you see there's there's two messages in the world. And so it just depends on what message you believe is the way that your life is going to go and the way you're going to be affected by it. So I started to ask a little while, how do I communicate to your people who they really are? Because listen, most, most people that I've met today, Christians, have no idea who they are. They have no idea who they are. And what we do is when we don't know who we are, we start comparing ourselves to someone else. Why? Because it makes it easier to say, well, psh, look at them. <laughs> I'm better than them. And so what we do is we go into the curse of comparison. And what happened when Cain killed Abel? What did he do? He compared himself to his brother. And what happened? Spirit of murder came upon him. And you may not pull a knife out and stab a guy, but you might stab him with your mouth. You know? So you're already alienating yourself from the purpose and will of God because of identity. But if you know who you are, and you know what you're called for and the purpose you should call to, it becomes a very narrow path, but it becomes a very plain, simple, straight path. There's no... Left turn, right turn, go this way, go that way. You don't need GPS. It's very simple. You know what I mean? And how many people in the church really know what they're called for? See, the biggest shock to me when I came to America, when I got saved in the church, look, I wasn't looking for Jesus. He fell on me one day. Yeah. No, serious. I can tell you the story one day. It'll freak you out. Freak me out badly. But, I mean, I was a total crazy nutcase. I was a murderer. I was a killer. I was a guy that drank myself to sleep every night. And God fell on me one day, changed my life. I never ever thought this, I never planned this to be my purpose in my future. It was totally contrary to what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a surgeon. I didn't make that. I didn't get there. I became something else. Because of anger and rage and fear and anxiety, I became something else. Because the cognitive dissonance against my call when I was born propelled me into places I should never have gone to. You know, when, you, when you're born into a family and you have generational iniquities and you have cultural iniquities that work within your culture and before you know where you are, your life is planned for you and you go in a certain way and you can't understand how you're going to get back to where you originally belong. So I started to ask God, explain to me how this works. And God said this to me. 
In Genesis, he said this, and God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the seas. Genesis 1.26. Over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. A lot of young guys who come visit your daughters, that's what it's talking about there. <laughs> creeps. <laughs> so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So we were created in the image of God. So you want to know what God looks like? Look at your neighbor. That's really hard to do because you, you don't see your neighbor as like godly, right? You probably look in the mirror, you don't even see yourself as godly. And then another scripture which, which exonerates that one is uh, first Psalm, uh, Psalms 139. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Now, now let me just stop for a second and just talk to you. We created an image of God. We're the only thing on earth that can reproduce the image of God. Am I right? When a man and woman get together and they reproduce and they recreate, they create something that is created in the image of God. Now, the devil we know is not a creator. We know that Jesus said he stood in heaven and he fell like lightning to the earth and he hit the earth. And we know that when the devil hit the earth, what happened is the scientists say a meteor hit the earth and destroyed everything. Now, uh, the, Jesus said he fell like a star. So they've never been able to find the remnants of the meteor because the remnants of the meteor wasn't physical, it was spiritual. And the devil hit the earth and destroyed the ecology. And what God did, he came back in Genesis and he recreated it. That's just my thought. I stood in, I got the revelation in Disney. I was in the, what do they call that? The Jurassic Park thing. And the star flew across the sky. And the Lord said to me, who was that? I said, I don't know, the meteor. He said, no, that was Satan. Where did he fall when he fell out of heaven? To the earth. Makes sense, doesn't it? And is he by nature a creator? He's a liar. He's a destroyer. He's a deceiver. So his nature is not creative. So, what he does, his message to the world is this, is destructive. So what happens if you buy into that message, you start then creating in his image, destructive. Okay, that's what sin does, okay? One man sinned through one man's sin, all have sinned. So when you were born, the day you were born, you were born into sin. Even that little, little baby that's born, fresh, brand new, it is born into sin. Who taught that baby to pitch a fit and cry and scream and rant and rave and carry on? Who taught that? It is the sin nature in man that teaches the baby that. Hello? Yeah. And we grow up with that. We continue to grow into that. And, and then, of course, culture, education, culture, and environment and family and all those things, then start growing you in those things because that's all they can do. They can only teach you what they know, Right? So, and we, we as people, we learn on a principle called monkey see, monkey do. Am I right? So you, you wonder why your children pitch fits and do the things they do because they watch you do it. I've I got children. I know. I look at my children and say, oh, man, that's me. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I watch my grandchildren. I say, oh, man, that's me. Little mini me, you know. I'll behave. So. When you fall into this nature of sin and you become the sin nature's birth in you, the enemy does that because the fact is he can't create. But he takes what God has created and perverts it. So that that thing that is perverted then can create in his image, which is destruction, death, hatred, murder, killing, lying. That's where all that stuff comes from. But then Jesus came, right? And through the cross, through crucifixion, he was the pure, he was the only one that has never sinned. He never succumbed to sin. And he gave his life, and he hung on the cross, and he died. And he rose again, 
And through that resurrection power, we have power now to come out of this dissonance, out of this message of media of the world, into this kingdom image that we've been created for. So there's a restoration that takes place. It's called the divine exchange. You give God your dirty life, and He gives you a brand new life. And that's how we've been created. So that's just the story. Let me, can I give you one or two more scriptural principles why I do this, I believe this? Most theologians have a thing called the principle of first mention. Have you heard of that? When something mentions once, it creates a precedent, right? Here's the principle of first mention. If you go to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 4. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Stop. So before you were a living being, you were a living spirit with God. Wow. So you have legacy. Hebrews says it this way. He says, I have written my covenant, my laws on their hearts and on their minds. So before you were even born physically, you were spiritual, and those things have been written on your hearts and minds. Now, let, let me just stop for a second and give you another interlude. If you're praying for family members, oh, Jesus, please say them. Stop. Start calling forth every single word that was ever written on their mind and their heart before they were even formed. Because God watches after His Word to perform it. And let me tell you, the Word is a seed, and the seed gives life. You see, we need to start learning to pray the way Jesus prayed. And to function the way He functioned. Not, not in a religious mentality, not in an educated mentality, but in a spiritual mentality. Start understanding the fact that every single word that is ever written in your heart and mind before you were even formed as a living being. That's powerful. The devil doesn't want you to know that because he doesn't want you to change the way you're creating. He wants you to start creating the way he does because if you do, then, then he's got you. All right, so let's move on. Before you were born, I sanctified you. So before you were even born, while you were still in the womb, you were sanctified. What does that mean? You were set apart. You didn't just one day wake up and say, you know, I need Jesus, and you go down to the church and give life to Jesus. Because if it was left up to me, I wouldn't be here today. I would have been out there, I'd probably be dead by now. Yeah, I signed a mercenary contract. I was planning to go and do a mercenary function in the Seychelles, and I would have, they all got killed, and I would have been killed in that. So God prevented me because he bro- in a rugby match, he broke my ankle, so I couldn't get into it. I signed a mercenary contract. I was going to go, and bam, I played, played rugby on Saturday, broke my ankle, and it was me out. Monday, the guys went. Tuesday, they were shot down in the plane. So... I don't think that was my ticket. I think that a lot of dissonance that came out of my life and a lot of hatred that was in my life drove me that way. But I think the kingdom of God said, hold on a second. This guy's been set apart. He's been sanctified. He's not going to go on that trip. So what, God, what did Jesus the shepherd do? Came and broke the ankle of the sheep. Picked him up. That's what the word says, right? He leaves the 99 and gets one. Oh. So you, you've got a God that's working with you on your side trying to show you something here. Yeah. So before you were born, I sanctified I ordained you to be a prophet of the nation. So every single person today that's born has been sanctified and ordained. So every single person that's been created and born on earth has been created and born, set apart with a purpose. Every single one. I don't care where you were conceived, and I don't care where you were birthed. I care about the fact that you were created, and if you were created, then you have a purpose. Everyone. Now, you have a will. 
You can choose to go the other way. I, I chose the other way. But you know, God has a Ways and Means Committee, so He can actually change your way. The Bible says God turns the heart of a king like a river. So, I mean, you just run into a wall. There you go. You see, we think we're invincible. Oh, I can do it, man. I can do it. Next minute you find yourself in all kinds of grief. And then you wonder, well, how did I get you? Well, God said, well, I, I planned that for you. I, I, I love you, and I, I let you bash, bash your head over there so that you can get some sense. <laughs> and I bashed my head many a times. See, when we played rugby, you never wore helmets. Oh, anyway. <laughs> so then Jeremiah's retort, because this is how we normally think. You know, when, when you think of yourself, God saying something to you about yourself, the first thing you think, nah, not me. Right. Yeah. Here's Jeremiah's reply. Then said I, oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I'm youth. You know? And that's what we do to ourselves, mm-hmm. is we always try and contradict what God says to us. Because we have believed a message that's from the other side. When I grew up as a young boy, my dad says, by the age of 16, you'll be in jail. Hey, I beat him. By the age of 15, I was. I fulfilled the prophecy. So be careful what you speak of your children. You like your mother. Hmm? Or you like your father. You know, all those kind of things. No, man, you are like the image that God created you to be. Yes, you come from your mother and father, but the day you died in Christ through baptism, and the day you rose again, you're no longer like your mother and father, you're like Christ. You're bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. You're a new creation in Christ. All things are passed away, behold, all things are new. That's where you need to go. You can't take reference to your old character and culture anymore because you change. It's like when you have a computer and your hard drive breaks and you put a new hard drive in, the MAC address changes. And the way the internet sees the computer hard drive is through the MAC address, right? So if you change the MAC address, that means your communication is different. Your old hard drive is dead. It crashed through baptism. You have a new hard drive, new programming. You have a new MAC address. No longer is your MAC address 666, but your MAC address is 777. A number of his name, right? You have a new name, Revelation says. Now it says to you that God has written your name on a white stone. You have a new name. You don't have the old name anymore. Are you, are you, are you hearing me? Okay, cool. So the interesting thing is, what I call Jeremiah's confession is rhetoric. You know, the way you change a culture is you change the rhetoric. Let me tell you what I mean. If you go back politically, go back to the days of Nixon. Nixon came out with this conversation in one of his speakings. He said, we are going to a globalized economy. Now, that was ridiculous back then because there was no internet. There was no way you could have a globalized economy. Well, I started, every president after him started to speak about a globalized economy. Then we started to see the United Nations come around. You know what I mean? We started to see a bunch of different things happen. So the rhetoric changed. So when you got Reagan coming, he spoke about a one-world order. Right? Then Bush, well, you heard it, one world order. Then Clinton. Well, what do we have today? A globalized economy and one world order. What, what changed everything? Rhetoric. Rhetoric, what comes out of your mouth, will change the environment. You want to change the culture in America? Change the rhetoric. And it's very subtle. And that's what the media does. They just, it could be a lie. They could just declare a lie and then people say, oh, yeah. And they go with it. 
And where the church has been captured politically in this nation is, especially politically, is everybody says, oh, well, uh, Obama's a Muslim. Just for interest's sake. And you look over the blogs and the Christians are piling this stuff out. There. And the fact is, do I care or don't I care? No, I don't care. The reason why is our instruction as Christians is to pray for those in authority over us. Yes. Right? And the reason why we find ourselves in these troubles in our culture is because we start agreeing with the rhetoric of the world, which is a lie. Satan is a liar. That's what he does. You want to change the rhetoric of culture? Well, we've got an immigration problem. No, we don't have an immigration problem. We have an illegal immigrant problem, but not an immigration problem. I've been through immigration process. Believe me, I could, it would be easier to swim across the Rio Grande River than to do what I did. <laughs> we have a rhetoric problem. What conversation? I'm youth. That was Jeremiah's rhetoric. Oh, God, I can't do it. I'm youth. Sorry, I'm just too young. I don't know how. I'm just, you know, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I'm called. I mean, can you stand in front of God and say, I, I don't know if I can do this, God, I'm too young. Yeah, you're speaking to the creator of the universe, yeah. saying to him, uh, yeah, I don't know, God. <laughs> don't really trust what you created over here. It's like just a yeah, piece of garbage, man. It's like... I want to go clubbing. I want to go partying, man. I want to. I want movies. I want to do all that other stuff, man. I don't think you got the right guy. I think you missed it. Huh? You, do you ever think of that? That's rhetoric. It's a contradiction to the truth. That's how you change culture. Um, but then God came back in verse seven, said, "Do not say I'm youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you. And whatever command you shall speak, do not be afraid of their faces." For I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Now to me, I think that's a commission right there. That's a promise, right? I'm going to commission you and send you. And now I'm going to take care of you. Now if I just say to you today, for you to say, okay, listen, God's got a call in life. Tomorrow go and resign your job and wait at home for God to come tell you what to do. How many of you would do that? <laughs> Not many. Hey man, I had a pharmaceutical business back in South Africa. I was making millions. I had a 10,000 square foot house. I had a banana plantation and a sugar cane plantation. I had 10 servants work for me. And God spoke to me. And within three months, I gave my business away, sold my house, got on a plane with 10 boxes and five suitcases and my three children that were barely five, three, and one and came to America with no promise, no hope, didn't know where I was coming to. Actually, didn't even know where I was going to go. I asked God, where do I go? He said, well, you, you choose. What? Uh, there's no specific landing place. No, because the kingdom's everywhere. So I, I, I got clever. I got, I got clever. I wrote three letters to three governors, to California, to Florida, and to Texas. Those are the three places I felt I could live. Nowhere in the cold spaces up there in the freezing. I can, uh, when, it, when it went white, in, in, because, you know, where we come from South Africa, we don't have a white Christmas. You know, we have sunny Christmases on the beach, surfing in the heat, and we barbecue. We don't, uh, you know, roast chestnuts over a fire. <laughs> it's like, it's, what, what do you want to roast chestnuts for? We're out here barbecuing proper meat. <laughs> Rhetoric just didn't fix, didn't fit, didn't work, you know what I mean? So, I got here and I suddenly realized, oh, Lord, God. Man, America's a scary place. People driving the wrong side of the road. What is wrong with them? 
No wonder why they have so many accidents and so many people killed. <laughs> Crazy. Stepped out of a small nation into this massive space with everything different. Doors open differently. Light switches work different. Guys driving the wrong side of the road. Food is different. And you know, I couldn't even eat for the first three or four months. I had a hamburger one day and I picked up to my, my nose and I smelt it and it smelt like cow dung. I'm sorry, it did. <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm not eating that. It's got, it's got caca in it. <laughs> <laughs> and little curly fries. And I'm like, what, what's wrong with these fries? They're supposed to be straight. <laughs> these people really messed up yeah, God. Something wrong with them. Thank God for pizza. I went down, got pizza every day. I ate pizza for It blew up like a house. <laughs> All the carbs. Jeez. And after about three months, we ran out of money, and we were evicted from our apartment, and we were living in our car. And we were stuck, and there was nobody. And then I said, God, what is going on? I thought, you, I, thought I heard from you. And God said, I'm going to send you a rescuer. Oh, good. Okay. Didn't come. I went down to the local golf course, sat on a chair, contemplating, before we out of our apartment, contemplating, taking my life. Because I got to the end of myself. I said, God, I can't do this. And the Lord said to me, do you believe me? I said, well, I, yeah, I did. Look where I am. I'm in hell. <laughs> and he said, under the bridge is a $50 note. Yeah, whatever. But I went down, it was a golf course, I went down under the bridge and there was a $50 note squared up. I picked it up, I went home, I sat on the chair and he said, sit down, I want to talk to you. If I called you, I'll pay. Now listen to me, I'm going to send you a rescue. I told you that before. Wait for him, he's going to come today. And that afternoon a guy came, helped us, and I got a job working in construction. I, my first three months I worked in construction doing trimming and that. Hated dealing with wood. Wood is so, it just doesn't want to do what you want it to do. God said, the reason why you're working with wood is because like you, you just don't want to do what I want you to do. <laughs> and then the day came where the owner of this company came and said, I've got good news and bad news. I said, no, I'll tell you what. The bad news is I don't work for you anymore. The good news is you don't have any work. He said, no. He said, by this time next week, you'll have enough work. And I was done. And then God started my ministry. But he had to take me to the place where I was totally poured out. No solutions. I even went to the airport to book my flights back, my tickets back. And the American Airlines told me my tickets don't exist. And I heard the sound of the door slam. And I knew God had got me in a trap. You know, God's not going to say to you, hey, I'm going to take you to the land, I'm going to kill you. He's going to say, I'm going to take you to the land of milk and honey. It's overflowing. With and he's like, oh, Lord, I'm looking forward to going. You go, and the next minute you just hear the door slam behind you. Because he knows, if, you, if he tells you it's going to be all hunky-dory, you're going to go. But if he says it's going to be horrible you're going to sort of back out. Because he knows. He knows how the flesh nature is. Man, I walked into that one. <laughs> but the beautiful thing is, God redeemed us very profoundly, very powerfully, and established us and created something for us that is rather profound. But I had to let go of the rhetoric and the belief and all the things that I believed and thought. And I had to start believing him. Guess what he says in the final thing to Jeremiah. The Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set 
you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, pull down, destroy, to throw down, to build and to plant. So when you are prophetic, you have those dynamics at work. So when you say hello to someone, no matter who they are, these things work. Root out, pull down. Destroy, throw down, build and plant. So while you're speaking prophetically to some people, there's things been torn up and destroyed. To other people, there's things been established. Now, this is not only true for the prophets, because this is true to us who are a prophetic generation. That's why it's imperative to watch your rhetoric, what comes out of your mouth. You need to come to agreement with the things that God says. Stop being in agreement with the enemy. Because every time you speak the word of God, there's things been torn up, destroyed, and rooted up, and there's things been built and planted. Now, if you don't believe that you're prophetic, Revelation 19 verse 10 says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. How many of you have a testimony of Jesus? So, that's just my, my dissertation to share with you today. Is, hey, pay attention to what you listen to. That's, my, that's the sound that I need to stop. <laughs> so pay attention to what you listen to. And pay attention to what comes out of your mouth. And start listening to the fact that every single person that's been commissioned by God to be a human being on earth today that's here has a purpose. A lot of your purpose is in the kingdom, but a lot of your purpose may be functioning out there in the marketplace. You are the one who has to decipher and discern what it is that God's called you for. You know, it's very easy for him to lead you and guide you. I mean, I, my first time I started to work with an oil company, I started to consult with the chairman. He called me and said, man, I'm having real problems with my oil company. I said, I've drilled four wells and they're dead. They're dry. I said, wow, that's bad. Yeah, $25 million later. I thought to myself, wow, seriously? All that money for dry wells? Yeah, he said, I don't know what's going on. I need a prophet to come speak to me. Wow, where did you get that from? <laughs> uh, some, uh, some old lady told me I need to speak to a prophet. And I heard that you won. I said, well, I don't, I don't like to use labels. I'm just a messenger. And he said, I want to fly out to my place and come look at my wells. So I said, right, well, that's the gospel. God's given us dominion over the earth, right? And I said, Took my Bible with me and walked out there in the land and walked in five minutes walking on the land and said, Hey, is there an Indian burial ground around here? No, I don't know. I said, Well, didn't you check? No. <laughs> well, let's go down into the city. We went down to the city, we found out the Utes, Indian uh, tribe called the Utes, owned that land and that was an Indian burial ground. And they, they pronounced curses over anybody who would touch their land. And you think that stuff doesn't work, but it does, especially when you're stupid. <laughs> well, Forrest Gump said it, stupid is as stupid does. That's a prophetic word right there. <laughs> so I got some oil, yeah, yeah and I poured it on his wells. And he stood and looked at me with this quizzical look on his face. <laughs> okay, that's not going to help. No, it's going to help. <laughs> Let's pray. God just stood there. I'm sure, I'm sure his Baptist roots or whatever roots he had was screaming at him, nutcase, crazy. Sort of prophesy over those wells. A week later, call me. Man, thank you. Why? I'm getting an average of 400 barrels a day per well. And I put a check in the mail for you. I thought, oh, there we go. 
<laughs> I didn't hear the 400 barrels. I heard the check in my, oh, okay, hallelujah. <laughs> Every time that man now goes out and prospects, uh, hey, what are you doing? I think, you want to jump on a plane? Come see me? Okay. Okay. What are you, where are you going? Well, I'm going up to look at a new well. You want to go with me? Why? Because God has given us authority and dominion. And somebody found out how to function in it and just lives by it and functions in it. And the Bible says God will take care of your needs according to his riches in glory. And last story, okay? Is that okay for me to take a bit of time? Last story. A couple of weeks back, well, actually not a couple of weeks back, last year, December, horrible December financially, just a horrible, horrible, for our kind of ministry, you know, everybody gets Christmas, they forget about anybody, and forget about the church, they even forget even further about us, the kind of guys who do itinerary ministry. And I'm driving down to South Texas, I've got a group of ranches there that I spend time with the minister to, all in big ranches, and this. on the way down I'm driving, I'm really angry, I'm upset at God, you know, I have a right to be upset at God. You know? Isn't that true? That's what most people are angry at God. So I'm driving down and say, God, you know what? Why don't you sell a couple of those cattle that you have on those hills you talk about in the Bible? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So I'm putting fingers accusing God, you know. So, so I'm doing this whole thing in the weekend over there, these guys, these, these old farmer boys. They're great guys. They're fantastic people. They just love God and they just, you know, they just want to know more. And I spend the whole weekend, a Friday, Saturday, we just solid in this ranch, just working with these guys. You know, cooking out and doing all this kind of stuff. And Sunday afternoon, just when I'm finished, after I'm about to leave, one old boy comes back there, and he's got one of these big 10-gallon hats on him, one of these massive big hats. You know, when he comes up to you, you have to sort of duck under the hat. <laughs> and he says, well, you know, I'm an old Baptist boy, you know, I, you know, with his accent, like, I can't do that accent, but he's got this old country accent. And I don't believe in this kind of stuff, you know, and so all that's okay. He said, but the other night, Wednesday night, he said, God woke me up and told me to sell my two prize breeding bulls. And I said, oh, okay. And I'm totally forgotten about what I said in the car. And he pulls his hand out, and there's a wad of notes like this. I don't even know how much it was. I didn't count it. And he said, that's for you. He said, and I'm out of the cattle business. I said, oh, God. Wow. That's drastic. And he says, yep. He said, and the Spirit of the Lord dropped to me. And I said, and in the next month, you're going to find God's going to give you wealth out of the land. And that's it. A month later, he called me. They just found oil on my land. He said, I'm rich. <laughs> so I got a call last week from a lady. And I don't know this lady. She said she was also down in the ranch area. She was praying, and the Holy Spirit said, Sell your milk cow. And I didn't say, I didn't go back to the story with God because I knew he'd slap me in the face. I knew all about it. I mean, like, okay, you want to test me? Bam, bam, watch out. <laughs> I get this call from this lady. She said, hey, I just sold my milk cow and I'm going to send you the money. And I thought, God, you did it again, December. You sold the milk cow. <laughs> I wonder how many cows God's going to sell before I really get the story. You know, understanding that God takes care of your needs according to His riches and glory. But I'm excited that He sold a milk cow on my behalf. I'm concerned about the woman. I don't know what she can do for milk right now. But I know God's going to take care of her. So what I'm saying to you is, people, listen. 
If you are here today and you're born and you're a living physical being, are you? Are you? Okay. And you created male and female, right? Okay. Okay. You have a purpose. You have an identity. You've been set apart. Okay. And if you've been set apart and you've been anointed by God, right? Then I think God is going to do something with you. You need to discover what that is. And the way to discover what it is, get out of the rhetoric of the world and those around you and get into the Word. And start drawing on the Word. Because let me tell you what, God is not a disappointer. Yeah, He may take a little bit longer than you expect. But I tell you what, man, He follows through. I know, I know a friend of mine, she's been praying for years and years and years about her husband. When's God bring my husband? Well, as long as you whine and complain and you go on those dating sites, you're not going to get your husband. What do you mean? I said, yeah, I know you're on that e-harmony thing. I know. Well, what do you mean? How do you know? Some Spirit of the Lord told me you're on that stuff. Stop wasting your money on that junk. You'll meet somebody, but it won't be the man of God for your life. And she said, well, I know what to do. I just really need a husband. Well, whatever. Why? Enjoy your singleness while you're single. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being honest. So she called me a couple of weeks later. She said, well, I've been promoted down to Corpus Christi. And I just don't want to go. I said, hey, go. You need to get out of your environment. You need to get out of all your bad friends. You need to go down there because God has something for you. Guess what? She's getting married. She found the man of God. Guess what? She went to church, walked in, sat down. A guy sitting behind her. When she turned around, the Spirit of the Lord said, this is your husband. You see... Stop whining, stop complaining, stop bleating, get off all those things. Start getting yourself into a place where you can rather spend time in the Word and start pursuing what God has for you. You know, as the deer panted for the water brook, so my soul longs after you. Start, start seeking that stuff, man. God is just awesome. He, he provides miracles, just like unbelievable miracles. Unbelievable. I can, I can tell you stories. I've got 25 years of stories of miracles. And most of the time I was stupid. I wasn't even engaged. I wasn't even connected. I was out there thinking about myself, whining and moaning and complaining like a stuck record. And God was still taking care of me. That's awesome. I mean, those of you who have children, you know your kids complain. I'm especially at Christmas time. We want bigger presents. Want... You know, to me, it's, I'm so grateful and thankful. I, my kids said, what do you want for Christmas? Man, I just want to see a smile on your face. That's all I'm happy with. Don't, don't buy me anything. Don't waste your money. I've got everything I need. I don't need anything more. It's just junk. It's clutter. I give it away. (laughs) I don't need it. I want to keep my life simple. Simple and smart.